You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Fabian Nisiesa, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay, and I have a new interview for you with Fabian Nisiesa. Now, if you grew up in the 90s, I'm sure you know who he is. He had his hands on a lot of the X-Men titles at the time, writing um, writing the main title and, and a bunch of different things. Uh, he, he was a really, really busy guy in the 90s. And what I'm going to talk to him about today is X-Force, because he was the guy who was scripting over Rob's plots at the tail end of New Mutants, as the, as the title was relaunched into X-Force, and then eventually taking over the title once Rob moves over to Image. So uh, just before we get into that episode, I want to say you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Epic Marvel Podcast in any of those sites, and uh, you'll be able to talk to some other fans and, and talk to me and, and get updates about when new episodes are coming out and such. So uh, like, tweet, do whatever, follow, all of that stuff with social media. And plus, you can head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack and become a supporter for us and get access to some exclusive interviews. And uh, we would appreciate your support because we can't run our podcasts without you. So here you go. Here's an interview with Fabian Nisiesa. They asked me um, to script over Rob's plots and pencils uh, in New Mutants kind of a tacit understanding that, that, you know, if it was working out, that we'd be launching X-Force. Um, I knew all of this was going on because I was Marvel's advertising manager, so I knew uh, I was one of the people fighting pretty vigorously in inside the offices to, to, to go ahead with the plan to cancel New Mutants and launch X-Force. Rob met with resistance when he first pitched it, and, and uh, marketing uh, manager Sven Larson and me as advertising manager um, really agreed with Rob and sided with him and Sven, Sven did a whole lot of behind the scenes work with memos and all this other stuff that Rob has printed or, or tweeted out in the past trying to convince the powers that be that this was a good idea um, and, and I think if I remember right we just had a bunch of dominoes we had to topple uh, no pun intended uh, yeah. toppled Bob Harris first and Bob convinced Tom DeFalco and when Tom and Bob were on board, it, it became easier to, to get um, Mike Hobson and, and the VP of Sales, Carol Kalish, to agree with it. Um, and then once everybody was on board, we knew we could launch X Force. And then, then it made sense to do it in the summer because we knew that they were launching a new Chris Claremont Jim Lee X book. Um, so, so that just became this big, giant summer plan. So I started scripting New Mutants with 98 and, and pretty much expected that I would be scripting off of Rob's plots, uh, starting with X-Force number one. 
you were actually starting a bunch of new storylines in those last few issues and working closely with Rob to to kind of steer all these characters to, toward X-Force. Is that right? Uh, no, well, working with Rob was... Uh, <laughs> working with Rob was relatively... Uh, rarely allowed me uh, foresight into what was going to be happening. Um, I had my <laughs> own books that I was doing at the time, and right. and I was also I also had a full time job at Marvel, and so I, I was plenty busy. Um, I didn't need to worry about eight month long term plans for X Force. Um, my job was to script to Rob's plot and pencil layouts or breakdowns or you know stick figure layouts, whatever it was I got that month. And it varied month to month. Whatever it was I got, my job was to script it, make sure that the, the story was being presented in some kind of semblance of a cohesive whole, and the character beats were, were being hit, you know, the way Rob intended in his plots through dialogue. And and as a result, I, I, I rarely remember, in hindsight, knowing what would be happening in the next issue or two issues further, other than just a couple verbal conversations um I, I don't recall rob having written down the six month outline or anything like that and, and oftentimes um especially as we all were getting busier and busier post new mutants really sliding into x-force i often wasn't sure what was going to be happening in an issue until i got the layouts and then <laughs> wow. talked to rob on the phone and, and read his border notes and we just talked it all out yeah and then i went ahead and did whatever scripting job i had to do I don't agree with the working method, and I don't think it was a working method that was conducive to the best possible work by various people involved, uh, but it just was a working reality for that book, that, that particular title. So we, I just tried to roll with it as best as I could. Now, from a marketing standpoint, what sort of work did you do to make people aware of X-Force, to, make it, to pump it up? Uh, I think I actually, I think that may be a time period when I transitioned to editorial because I know that an X-Force promo poster was made and I don't think I, I worked on that promo poster. I think that was the new people who took over for me. I, I mean, with lead times and things like that, like, you know, X-Force at 100, or New Mutants 100 came out in February, I think, of 92, was it? Um, uh, 91? 91. Was. And, um, and, and X-Force number one came out in June of 91. Yeah. Um, so the advertising and marketing plans were being prepared in the fall of 90 and executed in the spring of 91. Oh, wow. Um, I'm pretty sure that I was a part of the planning part of it in the fall, but I don't think I was an editor. I'm pretty sure I was an editor already by then. I think I, I transitioned over because I, I, yeah, I know for a fact that I did not do advertising work on X-Force number one and X-Men number one. Those weren't my posters. Those weren't my house, my house ads. So, I, you know, so I'd already, I, I had already left the department by that point. Okay. Uh, I, I just don't remember the exact month. To this day, I don't remember what title was my first editorial credit or what month I even moved over. I just, I, I just don't remember. So you were mentioning that it, it took a little bit of convincing the powers that be to go forward with, with X-Force. Now, how far in advance is that? Because we're already talking with the, the marketing, the, the prep for the marketing was, you know, quite far in advance. But how far in advance were you talking about the initial concept of X-Force? I'm sure that Rob, I'm, I'm, I, you got to feel in that memo that Sven wrote 
that Rob has posted on, on, on Instagram and stuff in the past, you got to see when that memo was dated. I don't remember when it was dated to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, I just know that by the time Rob took over with 98, there was already a tacit understanding, awareness and planning for the title to be canceled with 100 and relaunch again in the summer. with them. So it had to be done a couple months before Rob even started 98. So I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that in the fall of 90, we already all knew that this was going to be happening, but, but I have to be honest with you. I don't remember the exact timing of all of this. This is, you know, this is, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yep, absolutely. Okay, well, skipping ahead a little bit then, X-Force number 13, you come on as full writer because that's when Rob left to join Image. Now you got to have full control and full reign of uh, of where the, the direction of this book went. How did that? Uh, how did you deal with that? Well, the transition was awkward and, and uncomfortable and, and very drawn out because... Rob, Rob left the book officially with 13, but, you know, for the last few issues, he was really just plotting the book, um, and he was already working on, on things he was doing with Image, and, uh, you know, although uh, on the one hand, back then and even as much to this day, I, I wholly and heartily respect and applaud what those guys chose to do, uh, having been uh, boots on the ground on the inside in comparison to 99% of the people out there, I don't agree with how some of them chose to do it. Right. Um, and, and and how they chose to do it, it, it in a couple cases, not all of them, because it's seven different people who all had seven different schedules. Um, but the schedules of a couple of them, most predominantly what a coincidence the ones who were working on X titles um, <laughs> they all chose to drag and draw things out in a in a prolonged manner that on the one hand teased the notion that maybe we're not leaving or maybe we're staying to help your sales or your transition but on the other hand was also providing them with as much exposure as they could possibly gain while they were in the process of preparing their own books. So that's a very difficult position to be on if you're one of the people who is still working on the books and plans to continue working on the books. Yeah, for sure. So so, so the last few months of Rob's tenure on the, on, on the title were, were very uncomfortable, and I don't think elicited good work on anyone's part. And, and, and on our end, on my end, it was really just hurry up and leave, quite frankly. I mean, no disrespect intended to what you accomplished at Marvel, because what you accomplished at Marvel was phenomenal, but if you're going to go, go. <laughs> um, and, and those of us who had planned to stay wanted to get going and get working. So the transition to take over X-Force was, you know, in my, my, my mind, I know, excruciatingly long it took. Right. But because we're looking at five, six months, you know, yeah, <laughs> from yeah. the time Rob really stopped drawing the book. I think the last issue we even put a pencil on, other than the covers, I think the last issue we put a pencil on might have been seven, you know? Right. Um, and then he did he did pencil, um, he did breakdown layouts for eight that Mike Mignola penciled, and then I think Pacella was doing the, the issues after that. So anyway, I, I, I was more than happy to hit the ground running. The real frustrating part was that hitting the ground running meant that Again, what a surprising coincidence. They timed their departure to 
give us as little possible time as we could have to to plan and prepare the crossover that was already in the publishing plan. And they <laughs> knew that this crossover was already in the publishing plan. We didn't know what the crossover was going to be yet because we were waiting for them to decide, Jim and Rob and Bob, but Jim and Rob and Bob weren't, or Jim and Rob weren't going to be a part of it. So we had to put together Executioner's Song on a really fast schedule with all the new artists coming on board and me and Scott taking over the books and having to put all this together and Peter David still on X Factor. So so we put that crossover together uh, pretty damn quick. But, uh, I, I, I broke down the entire I think it was nine part story 12 part story, I don't remember. What was it, four titles? Yeah. Three issues each, so it was a 12 part story. Um, I, I did the breakdown of that whole the whole skeletal spine of that story and then we had a big meeting with all the writers and, and, and the new artists coming on board and, and we, we hashed it all out and put it all together and, and if you look back on that time it's kind of amazing because we were monthly publishers we had to publish monthly we didn't have the luxury of being able to take three four months to do a book back then yeah um and 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 the the luxury that the image guys chose to have for themselves more power to them was to have three four months to put out a monthly book (laughs) Um, we didn't have that luxury yeah so we we seamlessly transitioned right into that storyline with all the new artists on all the different titles and we released it on a monthly schedule and everything shipped on time and sold through the roof so we all we all breathed a collective sigh of relief we were going to be fine we knew we were going to be fine after that and they were going to be fine and we knew they were going to be fine so you know good luck and more power to you and we got our jobs to do and our jobs is to put these books out and that's what we continue to do that's incredible. And are you happy with the way that ex- the Executioner's song turned out? Yeah, yeah. Overall, yes, in hindsight. Um, I think I just had to reread it like a year ago because Marvel, Marvel.com was interviewing me for it. Um, I, I, the, you know, there's things that the, the more experienced, more mature Fabian would do differently, uh, possibly uh, a little less bombast <laughs> and, and maybe just a little more subtlety. But we were selling to a younger audience then, too, and we knew it. Yeah. We were doing one of a few things with the older X-Men readers. We had alienated them because Chris wasn't doing the books anymore, or they had continued going on with the books and liked them just fine, or they had continued going on with the books and weren't enjoying them as much. But either way, we still had two-thirds of the audience <laughs> that Chris had. But at yep. the same time, we grabbed a whole bunch of new readers, and those new readers almost all were younger because of the toy line and the budding cartoon on air. Right. And, and X-Force, we knew, was a young audience. Rob and I always knew that and always aimed our book at like 10 to 14-year-olds. X-Men was getting a much younger audience, too. So some of that bombast was really geared towards that testosterone pubescent teenage boy that we knew was buying the book um, and, and we knew was getting attracted by that kind of stuff. Big posing, lots of shouting, lots of snarling. Uh, Chris Eliopoulos doing these wonderful open open letter wording of, of big words, one word chosen to be lettered real big and red, uh, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and and it, doesn't, it doesn't stand the test of time that well. Right. Um, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think some of that early X-Force work you know, truly stands the, the test of the time the way some of my other work might like like New Warriors does. Um, mm-hmm. But but for the same token, we knew our audience we were reaching our audience, and our audience was enjoying it. So that's something that a lot of people 
uh, today and even older people back then uh, never seemed to quite get <laughs> that, that the younger people were enjoying it. I, I know that now because I go to a, a bunch of conventions every year and I have many, many people in their late 30s, early 40s who tell me I was 10 years old when this came out, I was 14 years old when this came out and it meant everything to me. It was the coolest thing in the world. And, and you get that from so many people that you know it's not anecdotal that, that you know, it was a prevailing feeling among among the the audience that was buying the books. Were you surprised at the the popularity of X Force when it hit the stands? No, no. Rob Rob was on fire, man. Rob had found a formula that allowed him to express his borderline ADD yeah, <laughs> yeah. excitement and enthusiasm and put it on paper. I I, I you know I I could criticize a lot of Rob's working methods. I can criticize some of his actual artwork or some of his story choices, but I will never ever criticize how intelligent he is, how smart he is at understanding the zeitgeist of his audience. Wow! And he got it at that time. He understood it, and he 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 nailed it for that audience. We saw New Mutant sales starting to go up from the minute he came on board. When he became plotter with issue 98 and introduced all those characters, the book jumped massively in sales, okay? So we knew X-Force was going to be big. We, I didn't, none of us thought it was going to sell 6 million copies at a direct market. That, that wasn't <laughs> an expectation on our part. But Todd's book had sold a million the year before, so Rob wanted to break a million because he wanted to top Todd. <laughs> so we, <laughs> right. the, the hope was that we were going to top a million. Uh, you know, we didn't think it was going to be what it became. That that was a little excessive, and a lot of that was because of, of marketing and sales tricks, like you know the the the, the five cards and the bag right, and yeah. all that stuff. That that that, uh, that artificially inflated the orders. But even without those bag comics, it still would have sold over a million copies in the direct market. Um, so so no, I wasn't surprised in the least that, that it succeeded. I, I, not at all. We, we knew. We, both from being the advertising manager on the inside, dealing with editorial on a daily basis, dealing with retailers, dealing with fans at conventions. I mean, I, I, I was very much a, a person in the company that had to have a pulse of, of how things were working or not working in multiple different spots whether it be internally editorially or whether it be externally in stores or whether it be externally with audiences even even to the standpoint of needing to be in touch with what licensing was looking for and needed, what international publishing wanted and was looking for, what was working for different departments. Um, that, that was part of my job. That was part of my day-to-day -day existence in the company. So I often had to flip hats from writer Fabian, which was really just a, a part of my existence back then, to office Fabian, which was a much greater part of my existence back then. So I knew what we had effectively discussed as the problems in the X-Books, even within the context of the fact that they were all still the top-selling titles we had, we all felt that they all had several editorial problems, not editorial problems, creative problems that, that had to be had to be managed by editorial and that that led to all kinds of problems and confrontations obviously with people leaving the books who had been on there a long long time but there was no doubt in my mind that the time had come that where a change was going to be positive for the books themselves i'm not going to say qualitatively but i i, I will say in terms of what the 
company needed and what the audience might might be looking for and to get a new and a larger audience. And, and all of that worked. All of that was actually right. All of that, you know, w- w- was bearing fruit with, with titles and approaches like X-Force. Uh, do I think Rob is a little excessive sometimes? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do I think that the first year of the book was a little out there sometimes? Yes, I do. That you know, But for the same token, he also did things that most people wouldn't have the guts to do. He did things that most people wouldn't have the balls to do, you know? Introducing Domino in issue 98 of, of, of New Mutants, and then a year later showing that the character you think has been Domino all along has been a replacement. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that caught me completely out of left field. I, mean, <laughs> I never knew that. Um, whether he came up with that after the fact or whether he had that in mind from the very beginning doesn't make a difference because it's a great idea. It's a great trick. It's a great bit. You know, it's wonderful sleight of hand for a monthly book that you need to be able to do. You know, other other choices and other things, in my opinion, weren't as good. Like, you know, Sam being an external and all that fake dying stuff and all that. That that, <laughs> that didn't work. Other So some stuff worked really, really well. The Deadpool subplot worked well. I thought Kane worked well. I, you know, the, the Cable cable and Shatterstar and, and, and the... the those slowly growing aspects of the team worked well, but I, I thought all of it was being done in a little too haphazard a manner. It was a little too scattered for my preferences. You have to understand I was also writing X-Force. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was also writing New Warriors and Alpha Flight roughly at the same time, right. which were books with large casts that had to be tightly and intricately plotted, that had editor an editor who very much wanted to know what your plans were and how you were and, 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 and what your, the structure of your story arcs were going to be like. So X-Force was like 180 degrees the opposite, you know? <laughs> and, and there's some good things to be said for that, but it, it already wasn't my preferred working method. And so when I took over the book, I wanted to try to apply a little more discipline to it, and, and both for myself as a writer, but also for the stories and the characters. And I think I did that, quite frankly. I think Greg Capullo and I had a really, really strong nine-issue run or whatever it was. And what was it? He took over with 14 and he drew till 25, so 11-issue run. I think I think him and I really, really meshed and clicked. I think that the book was a better book when we did it. And, and the only thing that prevented it from continuing to become an even better book was that we lost Greg uh, ended up with some musical artists happening until we settled on on a very young and a very raw Tony Daniels. But most importantly, what really hurt is that that my preferred working method was not simpatico to the editor's preferred working method. Oh no! So my my desire for structure, for long term arcs, for subplots, it doesn't play to Bob's strengths, and and it 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 damaged our relationship creatively on both X Force and X Men. You know, but more so on X Men and X Force because X Men also had the yin yang with Scott working on the other title. But but my inability to to get Bob to commit to the story arcs and story plans and subplot development that I wanted to do always made it a little more challenging. And and to, to flip the coin in Bob's defense because I was an editor too, and I and I want to defend the editor as well. Um, in Bob's defense. Part of the problem is that he had company-imposed budgetary 
crossovers that were being scheduled on him constantly. So we literally went, we went from fatal attractions to blood ties, which was the Avengers crossover. Yes. He's administratively marketing sales, publisher imposed crossovers have a habit of derailing your ability to plan properly. So even if, even if an editor like Bob, who, who, you know, had creative ADD, you know, and the next idea was always the one he ran to like a moth to light. Um, even if he had agreed to the last idea and you never even had a chance to flesh that out and develop it, the next idea is still the exciting one to, to run to. Right. Um, so even with an editor whose inclinations are in that direction, uh, even if that editor wanted to, um, to agree and commit to uh, any kind of six or eight or 12 issue planning and arcs, those those crossovers have a way uh, of wreaking havoc on that. Wow! Yeah. What was the cable uh, was, became uh, an ongoing title, kind of spun out of uh, out of the popularity from Executioner song. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it, it gets complicated. There was a cable miniseries in the budget before Rob even left for Image. Um, right. He was originally supposed to do it. I think that's the Blood and Metal. Yeah, yeah. I titled it. I wrote the whole thing. He, uh, he had he left behind no notes, no plans, no nothing. Whatever he had in mind was in his own head, which is his right. I mean, he's not. You're not getting paid for. You can, you know, it's work for hire. You're yeah, not getting right. paid for a story outline. You're getting paid to write a story. Yeah. Um. So you know, I, I don't begrudge him whatever cable ideas he had in his head. They're his property until he sells them to Marvel, and if he doesn't sell them to Marvel, then they're his. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't have any obligation to tell me those at all. Uh, so so he left, and I, I, I we were staring a cable miniseries, two-issue miniseries, right in the face, and we knew it was going to be coming out um, because it was in the quarterly budget plan, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. for the year. So we had to put it together, and, and it wasn't hard to put together. I knew the stories that we needed to tell. I knew how I wanted to tell those stories. I'd already written enough of this enough of this character and enough of his supporting characters. I'd done enough in script dialogue to lay hints down about his past that weren't even necessarily things that Rob had put down in plot notes or border notes on his, his layouts. They were just me throwing stuff out there to begin fleshing these characters out. Um, so you, you allude to stuff that happened in the past and things like that. And I knew that, that there was enough of that raw material floating around that I could herd it together and turn it into haggis. Um, so <laughs> all this raw meat could be shoved into into one stomach line. Yeah, right. <laughs> and John Romita Jr. was already tapped to, to draw it, um, and, and I was really excited to get to work with him. Um, uh, I think it took forever to get that second issue done. I don't even remember the lag time between issues. Um, I just remember that it took him a really long time to, that, to draw that second issue. Uh, so the schedule on it was a little bit of a mess, and we were going to launch a monthly title off of it because Bob had Bob was getting pressure to expand the title list because they were selling really really well, and Image was going to be releasing their books, and DC was doing a whole bunch of stuff, and this this new company Valiant was putting stuff out, so Marvel wants to maintain their market share, and they know the way to do that is to put out you know four more X books, X related books. Oh. So it was kind of a logical thing that, uh, that, that, that there'd be an expectation that there would be a cable book. I, I remember the details 
with a cable monthly book are really foggy and painful because the whole process was really difficult. Um, I, I remember not being happy that it was on the schedule for when it was on the schedule because I knew that technically he wasn't in the books at that time, if I'm recalling right. Yeah. He'd already been written out with X, with um, X-Force 25. Right. And and Cable number one came out after X Force twenty five did. Oh, um, X Force. Tw- um, uh, sorry, Cable was written out in X Force eighteen, I think eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he came back in twenty five. That's right. Yeah. And and I did not want the monthly book to launch until after he had come back, but I'm pretty sure it launched in between. It did, yeah. Which was one reason I think I started with a future story. Okay. Yeah, uh, and and I think it was just I just think it was a mess. I, I mean, our IT there wanted to draw, wanted a pencil a book, a really bad. He wanted an ink and pencil, not just ink. And and he, you know, he deserved the shot. He deserved the chance to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think he was ready to be a pencil on a monthly book. And and it just, you know, it just took took him too long to draw the book. So by the second issue, we were already really behind on the schedule. Oh no! And and I think the third issue had had didn't the third issue have like seven different artists on it? It did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I, I actually love that issue because just just two characters talking and drinking beer, so I really <laughs> enjoyed that a lot. It, it, I mean, I quit the cable book, and and if I quit a book, it's because I'm not happy with it usually, uh, or I'm not happy with the editor or something, you know. Um, I, I quit cable pretty quick into its run. Didn't I last almost seven issues or eight issues? Or I something? think number ten was um, your final issue. Yeah, or is the one? I don't even remember doing. It might have been nine. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Um, but I, I quit. Yeah. And, and I really didn't enjoy. The, we 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 never had a steady artist. We never had any kind of flow or continuity. Yeah. My relationship with the ex office was starting to strain a bit. Um, I remember Bob told me that I was writing too many books and I needed to, to I needed to cut back. And he, I mean, he's a hundred percent right. I was writing too many books. He told me I needed to cut back and I told him, I think about it. I, I, I didn't disagree with him. I think about it. And I think I came into the office the next day and told him I was quitting cable, uh-huh. um, which I don't think he was all that happy about because he, <laughs> he thought, he thought by telling me that I would be quitting some of my new warriors books, which I was going to be quitting anyway, because I quit Nova. I quit, Night Thrasher, I, I quit Cable, I, I quit all those titles in pretty short order, and and, um, and, and I just wasn't enjoying Cable. I, it wasn't the book I wanted it to be. I liked the character tremendously, but I, I didn't want to be writing him, uh, you know, under under those kinds of situations and circumstances because I mean Bob was getting the ADD already, and he was already starting to think that the guns and the pouches are are gonna are gonna play out and be boring. So we need to start changing how we approach the character uh, and I didn't agree with that because I thought the character was a soldier first and foremost and and, and I, I would prefer to stick with that visual because I think it was, a, it was a very dramatic and dynamic visual yeah. and it's what had cemented his popularity so why go away from it and didn't they didn't they quickly after I left and they have have some sort of scimitar or something uh, a <laughs> yeah. spear or something yeah, that he focused yeah. his powers through yeah I, I didn't read the books after I, I rarely read a book out that I quit or get fired from after I'm done with it so I, I, I never read Jeff Loeb's run of, of Cable or any of that stuff so I don't even know what they did I just remember seeing some of the visuals 
So so anyway, I, 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 me, me leaving cable was not not because I didn't like the character. Uh, that's obvious considering I wrote you know Cable and Deadpool fifty issue run with the with the with the two of them you yeah. know, ten years later. <laughs> right. it, it was because I wasn't. It's because I wasn't enjoying what that book was. Yeah, and and and, and that's why I left it. So it's it's relatively speaking that that short period of time was was pretty painful. The, 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 my run on that book was pretty painful. Right. Wow. I'm pretty sure the readers agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you stuck with X Force. You you kept on going with that one. Yeah. Well, X Force and X Men were two top ten selling books, and they were making me a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And I still had a very stubborn belief that we're going to make it work. It's going to work itself out. And then I didn't expect to get fired from X Force. I was fired during Age of Apocalypse off of X Force. Right. And I didn't expect that because I fully planned to keep writing the book after Age of Apocalypse had, had ended. And then I quit X-Men a little less than a year after that because I knew that it was over. When I got fired off X-Force, the combination of what a cluster mess, not to curse, um, <laughs> uh, the cable was combined with my, my plans for Deadpool second limited series being denied by editorial that I gave a four-issue outline and they completely rejected the whole thing um, and hired Wade to write a completely different miniseries than what I would have done um, or what I had planned to do. Uh, That and then me quitting Cable and then me getting fired off X-Force. It was like, it's pretty obvious the signs were <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not going to last much longer, nor do I want to last much longer. So yeah. I I, uh, I resigned off X-Force. So when it was still a number one selling book for the company, uh, I quit the book. Uh, so I what was that, 43 was my last issue of, X4, of X-Men. And uh, and 40, wait, what was my last issue of X-Force? 40, 43 also maybe? Yeah, 42, yeah, I think it was. No, 45, 45, I'm sorry, 45 was my last issue of X-Men. 43 was my last issue of X-Force, I ah. think. Because okay. that was the last issue before it went into Age of Apocalypse. Right. Right. And then Loeb was the writer after I got, after Age of Apocalypse ended. Yes, that's right. So, yeah. So I got fired off of a top 10 selling book and I quit another top 10 selling book. And that, <laughs> well. that was it. And that was within a six month span. Well, what do you see uh, when you look back at your run on X Force? What are the highlights? What are the stuff that you that you were really proud of? I was proud of Executioner Song. I was super proud of issue number nineteen, uh, which I think said a lot about the characters and why this book existed and why it was good that it existed. I was really, really proud. I was actually proud of the whole run with Capullo. I, I think we had a really strong run of issues. Mm-hmm. I, I liked issue 25 with the cable dismantling. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I liked the opportunity to do some of the smaller stuff with some of the characters and some of the issues after that, start to delve a little more into Richter and Farrell's background, Shatterstar's feelings of loneliness and isolation and Siren's drinking stuff, even though that was a little obvious in hindsight. It, it, was, um, it was still an attempt to try to find flaws and, and quirks and personality to these characters who were kind of shoehorned in without much personality other than fight, 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 you know? Right. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to slow down the fighting a little bit and get into exploring why they fight and how the fighting begins to affect them. 
in hindsight, had I the opportunity to do it now, it's a wonderful opportunity to to explore post-traumatic stress syndrome in in soldiers, in young mm-hmm. soldiers who are sent on two to three tours of duty. These are these are teenagers, early twenty somethings at most, and and they're they're being led by a soldier who keeps leading them into battle. You know, and it's different than superhero battles because those are almost always reactionary. Right. They're, they're, superheroes, like the X-Men, even Avengers are all reactionary. And the whole shtick with X-Force was that they were proactive. They they, they basically planned assault. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> even from the very first issue, you know, yep. they're planning an assault. It's a very, very different mindset. Um, and and it, it costs them their friends. It costs them the aspects of their family. It costs them... They're standing within their own community. It ostracized them with with governments and, and and with their mentors and with their father figures and older brother figures or sister figures. You know, they got arrested by the X Men for God's sake. So, so I just <laughs> I, I thought that the second the post twenty five really really when Tony started getting better as Tony started to improve. So I, I think twenty six or thirty were really rough issues, but um, after thirty. Tony really started to get better and improve. And I, I think we tried to do, you know, some interesting exploration of the characters. Um, I, I think everyone thinks of X-Force. They think of just, you know, big pouches, shoulder pads, and, and snarling, angry, posed characters. <laughs> and and I understand why they think that, but I disagree with the notion that that's all the book was. Um, because if you if you believe that that's all the book was, then you didn't really read anything after issue fourteen, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, because it was a hell of a lot less of that after issue fourteen. Yeah. It, it, to to the betterment of the book, in in my opinion, uh, not maybe not necessarily to the betterment of sales, but you know everything plateaued and leveled off to, to you know to a solid to a solid level at that point, but it was never going to have the sales the sales numbers that it had the first year, you know? Of course um, not, yeah. But I, I think that most X-Force readers who talk to me about the book, quite frankly, want to talk about <laughs> the stuff that happened after 14, not not, not the first year. Yeah. Um, they, have, they have less that they want to talk to me about. And I get... I get that they're reading it, they're getting older. If you're 10 or 12 years old and you're buying that first year, by the time you're reading the third year, you're 13, 14, 15 or whatever, and and your tastes have evolved and changed, just like all of ours do as we're getting older. Um, So the visceral, emotional kicking the balls that that first year is to to a a 10, 11, or 12-year-old, they're going to enjoy some slightly more exploratory stories of character when they're a little bit older, you know? So they very well could be, the people talking to me, you know, are the ones who read it that first year and loved it and stuck with it. They want to talk to me about the stuff that they begun, that they began to see in it as they got a little older and as the stories quote unquote matured in their minds, you know? Um, So, so the first year gives them, gives them fanboy gasms and visceral thrills, but that's not necessarily what you want to have a conversation about. You want to have a conversation about the open hand and the closed fist. You want to have a conversation about them being incarcerated by the X-Men, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You also made Cable just a more likable person 
uh, because he was kind of a jerk in those early issues. Well, that's not hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> Just toned him down. Um, <laughs> you, you, you did that scene with Charles Manson picking flowers. That made him a likable person. <laughs> right. <laughs> not a real stretch to make I, I guess a not, yeah. person by just having him not be an ass for an issue. <laughs> um, yes, look, I, I, you got you got to get to a point where you got to understand why, why are they following him? Why is he leading? You have to start exploring aspects of a character that, that go beyond the initial impetus or thrust of why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, you, you can, you can come on as a man of mystery and a man of action, but at some point in sequential monthly storytelling, some of those mysteries have to be resolved and some of that action has to slow down. Yeah. And that's when you need to explore why and what's next. Um, so, so my goal with cable all along was to, to, to deepen the character, to flesh out aspects of this guy. And, and, and I, my handle on him, never really changed from the very beginning. I, I think I wrote him in Cable and Deadpool pretty much the same way I began to write him in X-Force years two and three. I think I just became a better writer as I got older and evolved my ability, to improved my ability to explore aspects of the character I can. And I feel that within the context of a group dynamic with multiple storylines, multiple character requirements, all that stuff, I, I, we did a we did a lot to flesh him out and and make him um, make him a more interesting, conflicted, uh, and tragic character. I didn't get to really explore it again until Cable and Deadpool, um, and, and that's where to me, if you want, if I have a testament to my my thinking on who Cable is, it's it's Cable and Deadpool one through fifty. It's not X Force one through forty three. Ah, there you go. Yeah, because I think that that is by far to me. It, it, quite frankly, it, I can drop that omnibus on somebody's lap and say, read this. If you don't understand Cable after this, then it's not my fault. <laughs> because because everything you need to know to understand Cable is in Cable one through fifty. Cable and Deadpool 1 through 50, you know, more so in some ways than it is in X-Force because those were, those were still the, that was still the unraveling of the mystery, right? right? By the time I wrote them again, the mysteries had already been unraveled. Now I had to really, really create a, a character who shows the effect of all of that. So, you know, I, I, all the things I realized in my gut very early on, I didn't really get to express until later on. And, and that was that the character is this tragically flawed, lonely, sad, <laughs> and, 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 and ultimately incredibly flawed hero um, because of the sadness, the tragedy, the loneliness of his life. Um, and I got to explore all of that to a greater degree, I feel, in Cable and Deadpool because the book literally was about two tragically lonely, sad people. <laughs> um, and, and, and when both of your characters are that, you really get to you know explore a theme a little better, you know? Yes, yes. Did you ever get to use the, the, the themes that you were going to put in the second Deadpool miniseries in Cable and Deadpool or anything like that? 
No, no. Um, it was his origin. The, 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 the second Deadpool miniseries was going to be his origin. Um, it oh, okay. was the, what happened to him at Weapon X program, uh, how they cured the cancer and what it cost him. It brought in a few of the characters that already been in the, that already introduced as background aspects of the Weapon X program. Um, but the story was predicated on it was a past present. It was a present day past tense story. So the cancer came back, and Deadpool was furious because that meant a he was sold a bill of goods and B, everything he went through it, it was for nothing. So so him becoming Frankenstein's monster was for nothing if it's not going to keep him alive. So he started to go after the people, the scientists who were part of Weapon X, that Weapon X Department H, whatever the hell it was, I lost track of all that. <laughs> he was going to go after them and in the process of going after them one by one, we would flash back to see what happened and how it happened. Right. And, and it was very similar to what they did in the movie, and it was in many ways similar to what Joe Kelly did years later in the annual that he did, um, but, but not as, not as you know, dreamlike, nightmarish as he did it. It was much more straightforward, uh, but so closer to what the movie did. Um, and this was 1995 we're talking about, whenever the second miniseries, 96? 94. Um, and, well, 94. Four was the first miniseries, so this would have been 95. Oh, okay. Right? Something like that. Um, but either way, the editorial rejected it completely. They said it's too depressing. I said, of course it's fucking depressing. It's an origin. It's origin is horrific. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't want that. They wanted something lighter and bouncier and more more aligned with the X universe. Hmm. And I, I wanted to do just the opposite. So that was obviously a problem. And yeah. before I even had a chance to, to consider whether I would come up with a whole new story for it, because all, all four issues were laid out, and all four issues were broken down, you know, really tightly. Um, uh, really, really tight outline that I submitted. Um, before I even had a chance to decide if I wanted to do that or not, they already decided they were going to go with another writer. So uh, I do believe that I, I, I ripped up the... Yeah, that one that I just had to throw it away. I was so bad at the time. And to this day, it remains lost. So I don't know whatever happened to it. I ripped it all off. That's okay. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I wish I kept it because I would add proof. I would add proof of, of of what I wanted to do with his origin. You know. Yeah. Um, I could have had that in my back pocket twenty five years later with the character's popularity. I could just drop that on the table and say. This is what I have in mind all along, and you see how similar it was to what Joe did, and you see how similar it was to what the guys did in the movie. Um, yep. So then I could have taken full credit for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you make of uh, Deadpool's popularity? Like, he's so popular uh, now. I think it's cool. I think it's fun. Sometimes sometimes it's a, a little bit of a, a burden, but more often than not, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I'm... It didn't happen overnight. It actually was very gradual over the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I watched it happening through merchandising and YouTube videos, all of that percolating before, way before he even had a movie. Yeah. So, so I saw it happening. The comics started to sell more when they did the relaunch of the solo books. The, the character was getting new audience, younger audience. So, so I, I saw it all happening. I, I saw it developing. I, I, I started going to conventions again like three, four, four years ago. Um, I hadn't been on a convention circuit for a long time and I started to go again and I watched my line <laughs> increase 
little by little at every show. Yeah. So, you know, so all of a sudden I go to a show now and I'm signing pretty much all day long to a line of 25 people deep all day long, usually, you know? Wow. Um, and, and, and that's, that's because of Deadpool. A little bit of it is because, you know, I want you to sign my ex stuff from 25 years ago and you didn't do conventions for a very long time, but most of it is ex is Deadpool stuff. That's amazing. Um, and I think it's cool. I think it's good. It's fun. I don't mind it. I mean, you know, I'm proud to have been a part of that. I'm, I'm, I'm proud that multiple people really were able to to build and add on to this character and provide their own unique voices to it because, let's face it, it's a unique character voice um, from, yes. the very, from the very get-go. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that they many of them have done that. Uh, I think that, you know, Joe Cowley and, and, and Gail Simone and, you know, leading into me doing Cable and Deadpool have really done that. I, I think Jerry Dugan has just had a phenomenal run on the book for a long, long time. And I don't I don't read all of it. I, I, I get depressed sometimes if I read it because it's good. So I don't want it to be good. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't read it. Um, but, but, but Jerry's done a super job. I have a question about Gambit and the externals. Now, when you were part of the the in the conversations about um, Age of Apocalypse, do you get to did you get to pick the characters you wanted to have in your in your books here? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that I think Scott and Bob have done ninety percent of the legwork on developing Age of Apocalypse. Bob had presented Scott and I with the ideas, and I we both I I love the idea. I thought it was a great idea and concept. But I'm pretty sure that that just got dropped on my lap. That one, we're going to cancel X Force. I knew we were canceling everything, but instead of doing four different New Mutants or X Force issues, we're going to do this book called Gambit and the Externals. I'm pretty sure that was Bob and Scott okay. coming up with all of that. I'm pretty sure that they put the team together uh, because I was working on so much other stuff at the time. I I, I did not. I did not get actively involved in some of that planning. I was kind of crossovered out by that point. Oh, okay. I think we had just finished the Fallon's Covenant, which was the first crossover that Scott had outlined. Right. And and I was I was I was a little beat up by that point because I had done so much heavy lifting on on Executioner's Song and Fatal Attractions that I was just kind of kind of wiped out. Um, so I was really kind of backing off. Um, and they dropped it on my lap and they said, this is it. And I go, interesting enough. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, conceptually the, I, the concept for the book was solid. I liked it. They got to go steal the Micron crystal, which is phenomenally, you know, huge and, and important. That's a hell of a heist. Okay. Let's try it. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I was okay with it conceptually and I was okay with the character mix because I like as a writer, sometimes I really like having someone else drop it on your lap and say, here are the ingredients. Let's see what you can cook. <laughs> hmm, yeah. yeah. And that, that that's what this was a case of. Okay. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to plug or promote anything that you are currently working on. Is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners about? I have, I'm not doing too much in comics anymore, but I have a new digital comic uh, that will be coming out from a company called Webtoon. It's a digital app you download for your phone or iPads and subscribe for free. Download for free, subscribe for free, read all the comic content on the site for free. Whoa. They're a, a Korean publisher that's been doing a lot more uh, North American content. Uh, they have a global reach and they have 
hundreds or thousands of comics on their site. Um, yeah, I'm doing it with Riley Brown, who I worked with uh, on Cable and Deadpool a few times. Uh, it, the project is called Outrage. It's a brand new creator-owned character. The basic premise is that Outrage bullies the bullies who bully people on the internet. Um, so if you're <laughs> being an ass, if you're being an ass on social media, Outrage will physically appear out of your device, whether it's a phone or a laptop or an iPad, and promptly smack the shit out of you. Um, <laughs> so, so it sounds like it sounds like fun and games and people getting their just desserts yeah. uh, until outrage smacks some people in positions of power Uh-oh. and that gets the dominoes toppling because then the FBI becomes very interested in what this thing is. So it's a 26 chapter story. Each chapter that downloads once a week is about the equivalent of about five pages of content. It's a vertical scroll digital comic. Okay. And uh, it should be dropped. It should be launching on Webtoon by June, I hope. We've got to have at least 12 chapters done before we launch, and, and we're like around chapter 8 and 9 right now. Um, so we're working. We're, we're plugging away. We're just going far more slowly than I would prefer. But it's coming out soon, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a good project. Well, that sounds fantastic. Outrage. Outrage, from yeah. Webtoon. Free to download free to subscribe, free to read, then go ahead and whine about the cost. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Well, thank you, Fabian, for agreeing to be on the show and talk to us about this. My it's, pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for a, a painful trip down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs>